This is a podcast for curious readers. Welcome back, my bibliophile buds, to this week's episode. And before we get started, just a few things. Uh, First of all, I hope everyone is staying healthy and cool and, uh, you know, staying away from heat stroke as much as possible in this insane heat and humidity that we've had the last two weeks. Um, So it's been so hot and I don't know about you, but my pale freckled skin (laughs) can't take this heat and humidity. I'm just, I'm not built for it. I don't know if other people are built for it, but I most certainly am not. So I've not, I've not been doing well. (laughs) I stay inside. I'm an indoor kid, especially in the summer. And I think book people, we know this. We know when it's hot, really the only thing you should do is grab a book and sit down and try to stay cool, right? So I feel like we have a leg up on everybody on this. So if you need another book this summer, to help you, to help give you an excuse to sit down, (laughs) put your feet up, and try to stay cool. It's the book we're going to be talking about later in this episode. It's called The Majority. It came out last Tuesday, and I can't wait to share this conversation with the author with you. Uh, Before we get too far into that, I just wanted to give a couple of heads up of events. We are, believe it or not, somehow, almost halfway through July, which blows my mind. Uh, I just, it's going too fast. So there's only two things left on our July calendar for our 18th birthday month of uh, July. Those of you that came out to our birthday party, hope you had a great time and enjoyed the cake and all the fun events. Um, And there's still ongoing things in the store for the month of July. Remember, if you spend $18, you get free stickers, free uh, temporary tattoos, um, and you also get entered to win, entered to win a, a... like book tote a weekly drawing for a book tote uh giveaway that uh i think any of our any book fans or loyal customers will just will love so make sure that when you shop in the store and spend money with us this month you make sure we sign you up for the giveaways make sure we give you the stickers and all the other fun stuff but in addition to that The National Summer Tour of Taller in Person is coming to Aaron's Books, and they're going to have a concert featuring three different indie rock and folk artists, Laser the Boy, Emily Henry, which is not Emily Henry, the romance author, different Emily Henry, also awesome, um, and Juliana Finch. Tickets are $12 in advance, and they will be $15 at the door. You can go online to register and buy your tickets at aaronsbooks.com. On Friday, July 28th, is our Midsummer Three of Cups night at 7 p.m. Um, and that is a metaphysical and wellness book fair with some tarot readings, some modern witchy discussions um, that Alexis will be leading and planning all the fun for. Uh, that night, 10% off all books purchased during the event. And there is a registration fee for this one. It's $30, which includes registr- er, registration, includes refreshments and also a tarot reading. And then obviously there's also a lot of other fun stuff happening. So make sure you mark your calendar for those two things. And that's pretty much most of the, the fun stuff we have rounding out the month of July. But as always, you can stop in the shop. We always have weird stuff going on and we're a bunch of weirdos who love books. So what's what could be better? Now, back to this episode. I had 
the pleasure of talking to Elizabeth L. Silver. She is the author of her newest book, The Majority, which came out last week. Also, The Tincture of Time, a memoir of medical uncertainty, as well as the novel The Execution of Noah P. Singleton. Her work has been featured on PBS, on NPR, and also in Oprah's O Magazine. Elizabeth is a former attorney and judicial court clerk, and in addition to writing award-winning novels, she's the founder and director of Onward Literary Mentoring, a program that connects writers with authors for individual tailored writing instruction. Elizabeth sat down with me to talk about her newest book, The Majority, which is um, a fictional telling of America's first female Supreme Court justice. So it's a fictionalized telling, but it's based largely on the lives of like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sandra Day O'Connor, Um, people like that, but it is fictional. But when you read it, it is also very, very educational because because you are learning women's history, and not just women's history, but you're learning our country's history based on Supreme Court decisions. And it is fascinating, it is educational, um, it's infuriating, it's inspiring, it's, oh gosh, it's just, it's amazing, and it's, you guys are gonna love it, if you need to pick it up. My copy of the book by the time I was done was so full of underlines <laughs> underlines and notes and, um, you know, dog-eared pages of things that I wanted to remember, quotes. I mean, it's, it's a beautifully written story full of um, intimacy, mother-daughter relationships, um, friendships. It touches on the intersectionality of race and class and gender and politics it's just it's so dense it's so good i highly recommend it so uh, without further ado i want to get right into the episode so that you can hear my conversation with author elizabeth l silver about her new book the majority which is on sale in our shop and online at aaronsbooks.com she did a lot of different things. But anyway, so she was telling me how she had met Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I was like, yes, I know. I don't, you don't have to rub it in. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I know I know this story and you can read it in there. It's it's largely based off of, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg life, but it's a fictional story. And I want to get mm-hmm. into it because I think you did such a good job taking the female experience and making it a universal, like making it making our history as American women in this country understandable through this, through this story and through the story, not, not only of her professional story, um, but the, her story as just a woman in the workplace, a woman in a relationship, and then a woman struggling through motherhood and trying to figure out what all of that is. And I think most of us can identify with at least one or all of those things. And so I want to get in and talk a little bit about it. So this story is, it is a, it's based on a fictionalized story of the first female Supreme court justice. So based off of like Sandra Day O'Connor, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Sonia Sotomayor, everybody. Um, And so you write in the story, you write about um, the intersectionality of so many things, race, uh, power, um, womanhood, bias, I mean, everything, feminism, and you bring all of that together and it brings up so many questions that I'm not going to have time to <laughs> ask. But just so you know, I have so many questions. <laughs> you should, my copy of your book is dog-eared and just fully. Whatever. I love but, that. Yeah. I love that. Well, it was really, um, you know, I was, I was a child of the nineties. And so um, 
it was interesting looking now looking back through even all of those things that you're unaware of as a little girl, yeah, but that completely. definitely affect you. Yeah. And I grew up, as we were talking about, I grew up where I grew up. And so, you know, we had, there was a definite viewpoint mm-hmm. of what all of that should be uh, around here. <laughs> and so it made me think back to all of that as well. Um, I just wanted to to say that I think your story does a great job bringing all of those, all of these huge topics together. But it also is so detailed and so um, intimate. And I wanted to ask, um, what what was the impetus for this story? Because this could have been written so many different times, I'm sure, over the years in your mind. But this version of it, why did it come out of you now? I guess. <laughs> no, thank you, and thank you so much for that amazing introduction. Um, it's it's it means so much when I when I hear a reader just understand um, the book and um, you know all the issues and uh, mm-hmm. the kind of the um, intimacy of the and universality of like the the experience. Um, I you know the book uh, was really born from you know as as you mentioned it is loosely inspired by Ruth Bader Ginsburg and there's like little Easter eggs for other um, of the female Supremes kind of um, physical descriptions or life, you know, or something from them, little Easter eggs for some SCOTUS junkies in there. But ultimately it was really born from my experience as a woman and as, and as a mother, as a new mother. I started writing this book um, when my son was one. He's seven now. So it was about a six year gestation for this book. And, um, you know, a million different things have happened in that time frame, obviously. Um, both in terms of the court, in terms of the world, and also for each person's life, you know, six years is a long time. But um, I, I, you know, I'm a child of the 90s and, you know, a little bit of the 80s also, Mm -hmm. but, you know, mostly like, you know, coming of age in the 90s and stuff. And so I... I didn't feel as much of that difference of, oh, you're a woman with different expectations. You know, my parents raised mm-hmm. raised us, okay, well, you know, you should go be a lawyer was kind of always the, was always the little hint and not <laughs> go become a writer, although, you know, <laughs> they're, they, they, they understand that I'm a writer now, but yeah. um, <laughs> they've accepted it. Yes. But, um, but, but it was very much like, okay, we have professional expectations for you that are no different than the expectations for your brother or for other men that we see that said the minute i became a mother that was very everything changed and the Mm -hmm. expectations and the way i felt society treating me was extremely different and that really startled me um because (laughs) in my head i'm like oh i thought we'd reached a certain point of equality and you know their women are doing everything and then you take a step back and you're like wait hold on a second, that's not even close to being true. Um, And then you take a step back and you look at, you look at what happened just in our parents' lifetimes or our grandparents' lifetimes. It's not that long ago. I mean, pregnancy discrimination was legal up until 1978. And we did, we, still don't have universal, we don't have paid yeah. leave still. Um, women couldn't take out credit cards in their own name in the early 70s. Yeah. This is not that long ago. I mean, the Godfather was out when these things mm-hmm. were still happening. And so, you know, it, it was it was really, you know, yes, it's a, there, the, the backdrop is about a woman trying to become a Supreme Court justice and she's a lawyer, but it's really this personal story of a woman um, figuring out her place in life and how to navigate um, you know, her profession, her identity, herself as a friend, as a mm-hmm. student, as a partner, as a, eventually as a mother, mm-hmm. um, and all of the, the struggles that she encounters along the way. 
And it's so beautifully woven throughout that you're weaving this personal story set against all of these monumental Supreme Court decisions that are that are at the beginning of of her of Sylvia's life, the main character, the they're being handed down. And you can, as a young girl, you kind of follow her. There's these flashbacks there's of her as a young girl of, you know, talking to her rabbi and asking questions and wondering, you know, well, okay, well, why is it this way? And, and why can't it be this other way <laughs> that would be better for everybody? <laughs> um, and it's fascinating to what, it was really, really um, emotional to, to weave all those ties together and to, cause I'm kind of in a similar boat as you. I'm, I was born in 79 <laughs> I have a I have a six Same year old girl, I have a six year old little girl, <laughs> um, uh, and I think I think reading this too was also a moment. I think you and I maybe have a little bit of a similar. <laughs> we're at a similar spot, but it is. I look at my daughter and I see. I mean, we're we are in the middle still of a, of all of this. Mm-hmm. At nothing is set and nothing is in for sure <laughs> as we are. That is everything that is unfolding around us right now. We're seeing, mm-hmm. and I look at her and I just think. Yeah, no wonder you wrote this book now, <laughs> because <laughs> after having like you know read read your bio and read all this thing, I think when when I read that motherhood is what was the impetus for this, I was like, oh, I 100% get that. I can see where this story <laughs> came oh, that's from. That's so interesting. And because I a lot of the things that are in here, I feel like yeah, I've come up against those as well in my life, and all of all of the things that you thought you had freedom in, but you really don't um, because of the way our society is set up. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the story. And you have a character in here of Mariana. Um, am I saying, am I saying Mariana? Is it? Yeah. Mariana. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, I loved her story. Secondly, I want to say about two months ago, I also interviewed an author named Buzzy Jackson, who just mm-hmm. wrote, she wrote a, um, a World War II story set in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So I had read that and then I was reading this and, um, I just, the, the story and the, just the wisdom that comes from that character and also just the reality that comes from that character. I want you, can you talk a little bit about where she comes from and why it was so important to you for that storyline to be so central in this book? Yeah, um, Mariana is, so um, Mariana is a Holocaust survivor and she comes to live with Sylvia and her family in Brooklyn in 1949. Um, So it's a few years after the end of the war, but um, Sylvia is 12 years old at this time. And she kind of enters Sylvia's life with this tremendous presence. Um, And Sylvia even says kind of, there's there's that point in your life in which you know you can see the track changing Mm -hmm. and and you can see your trajectory kind of taking shape. And the moment Mariana kind of walks into Sylvia's life is that moment for her. and what's, what Mariana brings is, it's a no-nonsense attitude. It's kind yeah. of like she's very, very clear on her her personality and her objectives in life. But she's also somebody who has suffered greatly. She um, She's a Holocaust survivor. She was one half of a twin. Um, her twin was killed by, and she was experimented on by Dr. Mangala. Um, in um, during the Holocaust and in, in in Auschwitz, and um, so this has all informed her. So her her personal trajectory was was just taken away, you know. Yeah. So she can't, she doesn't have necessarily the path that Sylvia could have. And I think she sees in Sylvia the possibility of so much more. And so she comes in and she's very objective about death. She's witnessed it so profoundly in her life, and she doesn't 
she kind of sees some smarts in Sylvia and she sees some direction, but she's kind of like, okay, well, you, we can't have it happen in Germany, happen here. And you're going to be on top of that. And so Sylvia gets this like huge <laughs> pressure put on her from a very early age that um, she really needs to kind of follow through. I don't think she even knows that it's going to be yeah. law at this point, but she's starting to think it's that idea of kind of like thinking like a lawyer um, yeah. in, in terms of like looking at an issue and deconstructing it and trying to find a way um, to circumvent it or a way to um, uh, enable, you know, a way to make things better using using what's presented to you. Yeah. And that is Mariana's like her her whole thing. I, I And I think in conjunction with reading a couple of different World War Two uh, historical fictions recently, um, that was so present in my mind that the point at which Mariana says to to Sylvia, um, Sylvia is asking her questions about what happened uh, after and when she first comes to the apartment. And then um, she they're talking about her mother and she's saying, you know, do you think you would have felt different if this? And at one point, and I underlined it because I thought it was so just wise and poignant and so just so true she was asking a question about like well do you think you would be okay more okay with this if you'd gotten a chance to say goodbye to her after mm -hmm. she died and mariana just says death is death like yeah. it's her viewpoint of it is just so matter of fact because of what she's been through and sylvia's the passing of her own sylvia's mother is so leaves such a big hole i mean and mariana's personality and experience comes in to fill that and mold and shape sylvia so much and she has so many, um, I thought that was, first of all, such a good moment because I, I worked with kids that age. And so they, I know how well they respond to just stark truth. They they know mm. if you're trying to pull one over on them or if you're trying to sugarcoat a truth, they're, they have very keen sensors. And that's one of the reasons why I love that age. And so when, when that conversation rang so true to me, because I thought, yeah, that is what a girl that age would be like. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I, I understand that. Um, and the fact that she just speaks to her with such truth the whole way through, no matter Sylvia's age, I think is um, you just drop so many good pearls of wisdom. And, and I think one of the what the point I'm trying to get at <laughs> is um, at one point, Mariana says, look at what makes the laws. Look for clues about what comes next. And she's trying to show Sylvia that what happened in the Holocaust didn't just happen. It wasn't mm. just all of a sudden, didn't yeah. just all of a sudden one guy came along and everybody agreed with him and then all this horrible stuff started happening. It was decades in the making and yeah. it started with books and laws and rules that people set out that all of a sudden were people were like, oh, these aren't good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I I think that's such a relevant lesson for us as well right now which I don't like saying because I find that terrifying. <laughs> um, but, but it's, it's true. Relevant. Yeah, no, I think what I mean, all of that is is so true. The, the objective, her objective nature. And I think, you know, I love what you're saying about like just speaking to, to people um, without necessarily taking their age into consideration to sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's ways in which you can phrase there's ways in which you can break information, but, you know, hiding certain truths doesn't yeah. necessarily help. Um, and, you know, I think Mariana comes, I, I come from a, fa a family of Holocaust survivors myself. And so what I always had was this idea of education, education, education is the one thing they can't take away from you, which is what my grandmother, who was in Auschwitz, just always said, you know, it's the one thing they can't take away from you. And mm -hmm. it's is a common thing that that's said in, 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 in families of survivors. And so I think that, you know, Mariana puts that on Sylvia 
but she also interprets it and she's right. You know, it's like you, education is something they can't take away. They can take other things away from you, but you know, how you interpret, how you view the world, that's something that's yours. Yeah. Um, it will be informed and changed and evolved based on your lived experience, but that is singularly yours. Yeah. And I think, and later in the story, you make this, you kind of bring it around to, um, from the personal to the systemic, as far as going mm -hmm. from the personal story of Sylvia to her actual eventual job as a Supreme Court justice, or getting there anyway. Um, and you, you write that trajectory so well that by the time we get to the end, because Sylvia is a very flawed character, in no way is she like a... Um, like I think it was Gerber and that's not what I'm trying to say. Like Ro Norman Rockwell, that's what I was trying to come up with. Oh. <laughs> She's not like the Norman Rockwell yeah. kind of mom that you picture. Like she was the working mom that was an outcast in the 70s, 80s, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like all the way through. Yeah. Um, and her trajectory maps out the very difficult decisions that women have to make on a daily basis. I think that we are, mm -hmm. that's so, that are so ingrained in us that at this point we don't even really even consider a decision. <laughs> It just is how it is. Mm -hmm. um, and you watch her go through that. You watch her her struggle with in her marriage and with her daughter and with um, her personal life. Um, but you also bridge that gap with the systemic and with the academic and with the larger cultural um, world in which we live. And I want to talk about that a little bit because we have a recent ruling now of affirmative action Mm -hmm. um, that just came down and we're about a year out of post Dobbs. Mm -hmm. And, um, I want to just talk a little bit about these types of decisions and your background as a, as a lawyer and being in knowing a lot more, obviously than I do. Can you, can you give me a little bit of, um, wisdom <laughs> as far as like <laughs> this happened <laughs> what's happening where are we going what in the world <laughs> I don't know everyone everyone I work with and a lot of us are kind of like mm, I feel like we should be a little I feel like we are need to get like we need to get involved here we need to be more on top of this stuff because as Mariana said in the, in the beginning of the book they burned the books they made the laws and then the holocaust happened and yeah. I think we're kind of at this rhyming moment in history where it's not repeating, but we're rhyming and we're coming mm -hmm. back around to it. And what do we need to be aware of? Like, what should we be aware of? And more from the standpoint of um, our judicial system and those things. Does that make sense? What I'm trying yes. To no, that makes that's, <laughs> that makes so much sense. It's Yeah. No, I think, you know, the judicial system is it's complicated, you know, and it has so many problems. It is, I do still think it's a, looking at the global legal systems out there, it is a really good one. Yeah. It needs a lot of work, right? And so, and I think one of the things that um, is important to think about with with the judiciary is that it, it's, it's, it's evolving. It's a living, breathing thing, um, you know, and, and it can be changed. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, for better or for worse, right? As we're just, as we're exploring. Um, and it's the judiciary, it's supposed to be neutral. It's supposed to be arbiters, right? We're supposed to have people on the bench um, adjudicating issues that are what, what lawyers call issues of first impression, something that you hadn't seen before. Um, so they have to interpret it. That's their job to just interpret the law. Um, and from kind of a standpoint of the of the system it's like they're supposed to just look at that interpret the law and that's that um and 
in, in theory that that makes sense but the reality is these are people who are interpreting it based on their own perspectives and right. no matter how many laws or how many rules or um or standards you have of saying oh don't consider this or you know excuse yourself for that we are at the end of the day um an amalgamation and a product of our lived experiences yeah. like it's it's not possible to you you can say oh i'm not going to take into consideration x y and z in my life but x y and z in my life helps get me to this point and how i think right and you know if we all if we took none of that into consideration there would never be any disagreements in terms right. of the way law should be interpreted there'd never be any disagreements in terms of what the law should be or um you know there would be no idea of dissent there would be no concept of a split right. jury or a right. split you know decision and that's a hard thing i think for people to swallow you know it's like we want it it's something that we have to accept and go mm -hmm. along with it but um you know i think i think the supreme court is having a a, a moment that's of deep of deep turmoil because yeah. it is become so politicized which it's not supposed to be right yeah and it's the, the your the scene at the end where sylvia is um in front of you know she's she's speaking her, her confirmation and, hearing yeah and she's she's saying a lot of these same things um that you're saying and it really made me and of course i've thought of it before but as you get older you know your knowledge gets deeper and your understanding becomes a little bit more wider, hopefully, <clears throat> and the importance <laughs> of having representation in all things, but especially the highest court in this country is so important. Absolutely. And how recent it is that we even have some members <laughs> who are not straight white males um, is concerning. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it, I mean, it, that's just how our history, that's just how our history has played out. But your point that you make at the end of this, the idea that um, the interpretation of the law, hold on, I want to try to, where you say um, that the interpretation is what's important because you are, the people on that court are interpreting the law and their experience matters. And that is why you need to have people who mm -hmm. represent every segment of our society on that court. Yeah, that that is how you that is how we eventually have equality <laughs> or one of you know what I mean a or way attempt uh, yeah <laughs> attempt equity of some sort yeah, yeah absolutely and I you know I think a few people ask me you know well why why is it inspired or why are you looking at RPG for example I'll say well there's a representation factor there um, a woman be Jewish woman um, right. see you know living in New York at some point have a daughter um, you know mm -hmm. like you just you see. Yeah, with a Holocaust background, you see a version, obviously not yourself, but right. like if there's some sort of representation there, then that's the person that you're going to connect with. Mm -hmm. Well, and you want someone interpreting the laws who has something so somewhat similar to your own experience so that they can then say, okay, that, you know, the way you're interpreting that may be true for that segment of people, but for this segment of people, that's not going to work. And we need people on that court who can see all of those perspectives mm -hmm. and um, that, and I think your main, I, I never, the thought never occurred to me again, I didn't go to law school. I don't, <laughs> why would it occur to me? But the idea that our court, that we have laws that are, that have been made that are written on the descent mm -hmm. of, of a decision is pretty miraculous. And I, 
never really thought about that. I, you know, I, I do think that that is that is something that's really extraordinary about our system and that mm -hmm. I have so much I, I think is an incredible factor, an incredible component of yeah. um, the American legal system is the idea of dissent. I mean, we literally publish the opposing or the 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 the, the dissenting opinion, the, mm -hmm. the argument that did not ultimately become yeah. the law. And I and, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, certain places we're not we're not even hearing that, but here we're publishing it. And a lot of times, you know, I think a lot of times we have to look at dissent now in a way, especially in the last couple of weeks where we're seeing a lot of these fiery dissents and these incredibly um, worded, very with you yeah. have to just think about okay that that was written with intent right, right. um they know that sometimes a dissent that they write might work its way into um the language of a future majority mm -hmm. or opinion or it might work its way into um legislation mm -hmm. um because you know the supreme court is going to make a decision and then if the legislature says ah yeah. i don't really agree with that one well they can turn it into, they can codify as law. They mm -hmm. just have to agree on that. And that's a whole right. other story. But, yeah. um, but yes. Yeah. Sorry. And that speaks to, I think too, I was listening to, um, what was it? NPR that it's been a minute. And they were talking about the difference between justice Clarence Thomas and justice, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, who mm -hmm. both, both went to Yale, both benefited from a affirmative action, but came out on polar opposite sides of the decision mm -hmm. in the decision. And you have, you have two people who benefited from the same previous <laughs> Supreme Court decision mm -hmm. coming to wildly different conclusions about its effectiveness, its um, constitutionality, all of that stuff. And it just, again, the importance of representation on that court is so yeah. important. And I think your book shows that. I think the idea of the idea of the dissenting opinion being used later to form another law is pretty that you know possibly to form another law is great because that has gotten gotten us forward in a lot of ways and now we're seeing it also pulls us back in a lot of ways mm -hmm. so there's benefits and there's yeah yeah benefits and not yeah but um absolutely I, yeah i i was listening to that the other day and i just was floored by it because it just illustrated the point that Sylvia makes in your book so well that how how, <laughs> how badly we need that representation on the court. I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly and the reason. <laughs> it's true. And the court in in um in legislation, in in classrooms, in mm -hmm. writers' rooms, you know, who's making the content that we see in our TVs, you know? I mean, these are the stories that help tell us, you know, help show uh, a version of what um, our lives are. And so, yeah, we have to have that. And also, you know, it opens you up to different perspectives that yeah. you wouldn't know necessarily. And it's that just makes the entire, um, you know, that it makes laws fair, but also makes it just yeah. better to know other other experiences outside your own. I think so too. Yeah. And your book does a good job of balancing different viewpoints because you get a lot of different ones. And Sylvia, like I said, is not by any means, a her she's a heroic character, but she's a flawed character. Yeah. And there are things that she did and said that I was like, ooh, uh, <laughs> ooh I don't know. If that's like that. <laughs> but you do, but you do root for her and you want, because you understand her struggle, or at least I did. I think as a woman, mm -hmm. when you read it, you're like, yeah, it is that hard all the time. And I may not be a Supreme Court justice, but those little decisions every day as a woman in the world is hard. They're hard. <laughs> they um, are. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is that kind of that that intimacy that um, that I hope people will connect with and see, you know, you, yeah. you don't have to be a Supreme Court justice. You don't have to be a judge um, to 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 relate to her. Right. Even her flaws. 
<laughs> yeah, especially, especially, especially her flaws. Her flaws. There <laughs> were some flaws I related to a little too much. <laughs> I can see that one in myself a little bit. Um, so just my last, my last question for you, because I think this is, this is such a well-written book. And I think such a good book for women of all different ages to read. I think especially um, women of like in, in their professional part of their lives. <laughs> it's a really good, it's, it's a really good book for that. Um, and so I wanted to just ask you, what do you, what are you hoping that women of, of all ages and segments of society will take, will take from this, from your story? Um, well, I, I hope that they're entertained. I hope that they turn yeah. the pages and are connecting with a good story. Um, and I do hope that men also read the book too, because I think that these issues, you know, I don't think that, um, well, I for just entertainment value too for men is men and women, everybody. But I think some of the issues that we're talking about, um, they don't change without everybody's right. working together. Um, and so I think the visibility of 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 parenthood and in professionalism and ambition needs to be something that men talk about and men see and then they're involved with the change as well. Um, and and with I hope that women kind of you know once they're once they're entertained I I hope that they also kind of look at the fact that we've come a long way in a short period of time but it's <laughs> yeah. so we're so much more to go um, yeah. and that all stories all stories need to be told mm -hmm. um, because you know the more we read stories about, you know, the, the flawed, you know, person who's supposedly this huge, you know, icon or supposed to be, the more we'll realize, okay, we're, we're all going through this together. Yeah. Um, and if we can support each other, we can hear each other's stories, we can tell our stories. And, you know, I think that we, we progress forward. I agree. Yeah, yeah, we try. You, you illustrate that very well in Sylvia's marriage too, because you can, for as well intentioned as they are, mm -hmm. the, the gender roles, you just can't help it. You just, you, there's no escaping. And, and yeah, <laughs> I think you write all of that so well, you write, I mean, there's just, I was, as I was reading this, I was like, good God, she could write 200 more pages just on, <laughs> just on the relationship. With, I probably with did and cut and, it and, at some point because a book can only be so long. <laughs> honestly, there were so many, I was, I would have read it. I would have read a, a 500 page long. Oh. I would have read a 700 page long version of this because there thank were so you. many things that I was like, oh, I really want to get into that. Like, <laughs> I really oh, want to get thank into you that. so but, much. Yeah. That's really kind to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, I hope, I, I really, I hope a lot of people read it. I'm, of course, I'll be recommending it to everybody. There's several book thank clubs you. that we run out of our bookstore and there's a couple of, of customers that we have that the next time they come in, I'm going to shove it. <laughs> oh, thank you. I hope they enjoy because it too. They will. Yeah, they will love it. It's really, really good. It's, it's well, so well written. And I think really timely and relevant for right these days right now. I, I, I connected with it. I'll probably be reading it again. I think I'm going to save it for my daughter as well to read when she gets oh, thank when you. Able to read. I hope she enjoys it one day too. She will. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. And I just thank you. Yeah, can't tell you how much I truly enjoyed this book and I'll be recommending it to Thank you everybody. so much. It was yeah. such a pleasure chatting with you. And thank it's, you again for having me on the show. Yeah. Thank you. It was such a pleasure chatting with you too. Thank Bye. you, Liz. Bye. Of course. Bye. From the people who sell you actual books in a real-life indie bookshop comes a podcast all about books and the love of reading. So subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Instagram at Aaron's Books.